Yes, I think it's very easy as as humans to um, to think that we are somehow superior, uh, but we sometimes need to take a step back and, and and see that there is intelligence in every single part of nature. You know, we're not we're not the only intelligent beings on earth. Hello there, my name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Geography. I am joined by someone I have been connected to through an alternative career path, and that is Joanna Mendez. Hello, Joanna. Hello, Kit. It's lovely to <laughs> see you? you after two years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's been already two years and so much has happened. <laughs> so much has happened. So to introduce Joanna, um, Joanna says that she is in constant awe by our world and the beings that inhabit it. She enjoys observing and understanding natural phenomena and the relationships between fellow humans and their environment. And because of this curiosity, Joanna was driven to study physics and meteorology. Um, and although she's secretly inspired by philosophy, that's definitely something we're going to talk about a bit later. Uh, being environmentally conscious she, at a very young age, Joanna has sought to ally her academic background with green and sustainable energies and has been focusing her career in energy meteorology for renewables, currently a scientific consultant senior scientific consultant for the energy industry at the uk met office inspired by philosophy i really like that now i want to talk about it in more detail later but because i'm so fascinated and i want you to give everybody a bit of a teaser can you maybe start by giving us a brief example about maybe how a particular philosophy coalesces with your passion for nature or your identity i think it's hard to pick a single uh, philosophical tradition or idea what I like about philosophy is the openness of, of the questions and the fact that you're in constant inquiry. So, um, so I think that's what links with, you know, the interest with, um, with science and understanding, um, the earth and understanding us humans and, you know, living in, on this planet. Yeah. And, um, as I say, we'll come back to this in a bit more detail because I have so many kind of ideas and things to talk to you about um so at the start of each podcast we we uh, talk about kind of like the brews that we drink so because um, we're attempting to map our brews and beverages so listeners can have a little investigation of the countless ways we are interconnected around the world so i have my um fantastic i'm just going to show joanna on the camera here world's okayest geography teacher mug okay. that was given to me by an ex-student <laughs> yeah and in it i've got some caffeine free instant coffee so that's because it's we're recording this in the evening what do you usually like to drink then joanna um i i'm gonna sound really boring i usually like to drink water <laughs> just plain water but i also enjoy very much a cup of tea um and uh, i like to uh, try different kinds of tea I know in the UK, 
Um, pe- most people drink, you know, the, the black tea, but I kind of like mm. red teas and uh, herbal teas and green teas. So I do like to uh, to vary a little bit. There's a, a brand called uh, Gurkhiana. It's um, it's mm. a tea from the Azores Islands. So they actually produce tea there because they have the climate. I think it's one of the few of the the, the, the only place in in Europe where they produce tea. Uh, I might be I might be wrong. It might be one of the few, but um, but yeah. So they have wonderful green and black teas, um, and the the flavor is so much more subtle that I think if you add milk to your black tea, you're kind of spoiling it a little bit. <laughs> oh. I'm right. Okay, that is something that that is going to be a fantastic addition to our map because one of the things that you know students doing an inquiry will look at, they'll quite clearly see that there's a, a, a geographical pattern to the location of where their sources of their teas and coffees are coming from. That one's going to look like a bit of an outlier, <laughs> and so that will be very, very interesting for them to investigate. Thank you for that, Joanna. That's that's going to be fantastic. Now, as you mentioned in the intro, you're a senior scientific consultant at the UK Met Office, focused on energy meteorology, which is how we got to know each other. Mm-hmm. So you're in the southwest of England in Exeter and Devon. So how long have you been in Exeter for? How long have you um, been in the area? Oh gosh, it's approaching eight years. Uh, so I moved. I moved to Exeter for the job in back in 2013, um, and and this is really a wonderful area of the country to be living in because you've got uh, the countryside, you've got Dartmoor and uh, Exmoor and uh, Cornwall just around the corner and lots of wonderful beaches. Um, so yeah, you're a bit tucked away from <laughs> the rest of the country, so it's a bit harder to get to other points in, in the UK, but it's okay um, because you know there's so much to explore here outdoors as well. So where were you before 2013? So before that, I was in Porto, which is my hometown in Portugal. I was I was there working for three years, and before that, I was actually living in Reading when I was doing my MSc. Um, so yeah, that was my first experience abroad. Um, and so yeah, about three years later, I I moved back to the UK. <laughs> Something about this island, then. Um, uh, so you've you've been in next to long enough, perhaps that that you've got a really good sense of feel for the place, and you've mentioned you know those beautiful areas of outstanding natural beauty and the national parks there, classic geography textbook locations as well. <laughs> so, how do you feel that being in the Devon area has has kind of shaped maybe who you are? I mean, as it as it kind of enhanced kind of things of your your Portuguese background, has it? Has it kind of morphed things, merged things? How has Exeter and the area become part of you and how has it melded with your identity? That's actually a very interesting question. Um, I, I, I actually think about that quite often because I remember the feeling when I moved in, when I moved here, uh, I mean, I was already a, a, an adult and I, I had all my life back in Portugal and so it was it was a bit of an adventure. So I didn't know anybody in, in Exeter Um so it was that thing of, you know, starting your social network from scratch, from zero. Um, so that was quite interesting, you know, um, at you know, my mid-late 20s. Um, so I think it kind of forced me to look inside and to be more at ease at being on my own um, and, you know, just doing things on my own and go out and meet people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah it it was it was an interesting experience to uh um get used to being on your own and being okay with that you know just uh, go out and do activities on your own or go out and um meet new people and um because you know i was i was living in in, in porto and it's quite a, a big city in comparison you kind of used to all that hustle and bustle of um moving around a lot and meeting people all the time and you kind of come here and it's a bit oh it's so quiet <laughs> but the funny thing is now going back home it feels it feels just a bit too much so i'm actually used to quiet and living in a more in a kind of a country environment and uh, and i'm quite enjoying that i think it has to do probably with stages in your life and it's probably was you know the time to move to a different place and yeah live, live life a bit differently it does places do that to people don't they 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 both enhance and mold and change your identity and so when you do go back from like the place where you come from like it just does seem so out of out of time now i must ask i must ask this all right cream tea scones <laughs> do you put the cream on first then the jam on top or do you put the jam on the scone first then the cream on top Devonish way definitely cream first. <laughs> I was oh, I was I was really hoping you would have said like the Cornish way. So for for those people list, listening, I what are you talking about? There's this rivalry between Cornwall and Devon about how they make cream tea. So a cream tea is is a drink of your choice, hot drink of your choice, but you get a scone with cream and jam. But it's the way round you put the cream and the jam on, which is the very bone of contention. So Joanna does it the Devon way, which makes sense if you're in Devon. Is that because everyone else around? Is it because of peer pressure? Why, why do you do it that way? Or just because you like it? Uh, because uh, it's more convenient, actually. <laughs> and it, it makes more sense. Because if you put the cream first, it's more sticky. So it's easier to put the jam on top. Whereas if you put the jam first, it's quite hard to... <laughs> A very sticky cream on top of the jam is just going to go everywhere. Oh, you know, for balance, I'm going to have to have someone come on from Cornwall now because I don't yeah. want to be, you know, I don't want to be biased. So, <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Moving swiftly on before we go down that rabbit hole, um, I'd like to go back to something you gave me in your bio about being um, inspired by philosophy. Uh, and I want to use something um, that you told me beforehand because it reads so beautifully and I think it sets the scene very nicely. And this is what you said. You said, I am fascinated about the world we live in, how nature has gifted us with so many spheres, creating a symbiotic existence between plants humans and other animals we all share this complex and fragile environment of water earth fire and air and i feel so fortunate to be able to learn about its dynamics and interactions if that doesn't bleed i am a geographer through and through then i don't know what does right so for those curious about that and want to know more what example would you give of this symbiotic existence you just you just need to be aware of of where you live you know, you just need to look around and 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 see the plants and then look around and see what you eat and what you look at and the the animals that are around you and how you, for example, you interact with 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 pets and or, or you know any any animals and how important each existence is for all of us to be here. So if you take one element then it will it won't be the same you know 
everything will be affected. Uh, and I, I guess that's you know one one of the reasons why there's so much, for example, now nowadays there's so much concern about bees because you know they're so essential to to our existence. And you you might not you might not realize you know that if there were no bees, we would have no no plants, we would have no food, and we would, <laughs> we would starve us as humans to um, to think that we are somehow superior. Uh, we sometimes need to take a step back and, and, and see that there is intelligence in every single part of nature. You know, we're not, we're not the only intelligent beings on Earth. There seems to be this thing about the human race where we don't just feel we're superior, we feel like we're a keystone as well. Like without us, everything else falls apart. Well, in my opinion, it's the complete opposite. Uh, you know, we're, we're such a disruptive force and... and um, one thing I read when I was quite young, actually, when I was when I was doing my degree, so I was in my late teens, early twenties. I read um, James Lovelock's Gaia theory. So you know, I can't remember exactly what the book was called, but the theory itself is is not something I subscribe to. But I I like Gaia theory more of a like a philosophy. And so you were talking about exactly that kind of thing that like it's, if the Earth is a, a symbiotic kind of thing and it all works as a single being with all these components that help it along its way, you know, and we know through the work that we do that things are, are interconnected, you know, it's, that if you change one part of a system, it will impact another part of the system. Even if you change something in a, what seems to be an unrelated yeah. system, it will have some kind of impact down the line. We will talk shop just a tiny, tiny bit. How does that manifest itself in the work that you do in, the, in energy and meteorology? It's you understanding the connection, you know, that there is a link of cause and effect. Um, and, and particularly in the case of energy, yeah, as you said, it, it might not be clear for, for some people, but as soon as you mention it, people think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes total sense. Because, of course, if it's more windy, then, you know, you have your wind farms producing, uh, producing more, more energy or more got a sunny day then your PV is going to be you know yielding much more power as well um, it's also because it's an interdisciplinary um, area um, I, I remember I don't know maybe uh, gosh maybe 20 years ago it, it wasn't really a thing um, and, and it kind of became more evident for the people working in the industry that okay wait a second actually we know that if there's a storm coming, you know, that's going to impact our power systems and, you know, we've got, we might have power lines uh, <laughs> falling down and, you know, create, creating damage to, to infrastructure and to, and maybe potentially dangerous to people. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's essentially just, just understanding that, um, that connection between the weather in this case and, and, and our power systems, but also, Keeping an open mind, I think we can get so much more by um, speaking, by being interested in other um, areas of research, because it can only enrich what you do. Because there might be an element I've never thought of, oh, actually, um, this might impact what I do, and what I do might impact what you do. And, you know, there is a common interest there, and it, I think it's... We, we, we used to have a tendency of closing, you know, closing our research into little boxes. But I think more and more you see more of an openness of, multi, you know, interdisciplinary projects. Um, um, particularly, you know, I've been involved in several big U European funded projects. And there's people from all sorts of areas, you know, it's not just uh, 
meteorology is not just uh, engineering, but you know sometimes you have biologists. Uh, you know you who have to assess the, the environmental impact on, for example, toads on a specific area. <laughs> um, so or, or bats. You know how how the wind turbines can affect um, the the uh, the echoing of the bats, so they kind of get a bit lost. So it's really you know just taking that step back again and, and, and thinking, oh, wait a second, maybe, you know, there is, there is more to what I do. Um, there, there are more impacts to, um, to, uh, to this research rather than just, you know, my tiny little cubicle. <laughs> I definitely saw that when I, when we went to the conference in Denmark, the International Conference on Energy and Meteorology. And I was so, that was my first experience of like a group of academics and researchers getting together and trying to bring their disciplines together. And then like even the, the what meet thing, I've got a lot of geography teachers listening. So they would recognize something called a teach me. And I kind of did something similar for, for us called a what meet where, and the different stories in then that we all did and you did one as well. And, and it was excellent just having all those different, different stories coming together and seeing how they all link together. And that. I, you, I was rushed off my feet because I was the person who had to, you know, do all the logistics and the organize and stuff like that. But I absolutely loved those few days because I learned so much and it was just such a delight to see all these different people with all these different skill sets, talents and expertise come together and try to find a way forward in a symbiotic, synergetic way. You know, it was lovely. I mean, you had, there was, what, three or four of you from the Met Office who came over, I think. And then you had, and I've, I've, I've actually spoken to Dr. Hannah Bloomfield for this podcast. So she was on a couple of episodes ago. So she was there too with her colleagues from the University of Reading, uh, David Brayshaw and everybody. So yeah, and it was, and then you had people from um, the energy industry and it was just absolutely lovely and delightful. And I just, I couldn't believe how, how complex of a system we were. <laughs> as a group and it surprised me to to hear because you've told me it before but it surprised me to hear that this is a recent phenomena that this kind of interaction is taking place um which is a damn shame because we need to act like the earth does itself don't we as human beings we need to be connecting more and and sharing our expertise and bringing it into a, a synergetic kind of outcome but yeah we would have had another conference this year but uh, obviously a certain sort of something put pains to that I think it was going to be in the Caribbean. That's it. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little bit of inside knowledge for you, but that's what, that was what the murmurs were. We're going to come back to you personally now, and we're going to do um, a little skit called Spill the Beans. This is for you to tell us something that probably people didn't know about you, and that is you are a, a yogini, and you have started to learn Sanskrit and learn about classical Indian music. Where do I start with this? It's quite clear that you have a fascination with that part of the world and its culture. So how did you get into all of that? Where did it start? How, what draws you to that kind of stuff? Again, it's, it's, it's hard because you, you, can't, you can't really pin a moment or an intention within you to do it. Um, you just kind of almost like a calling. I know this is a bit of a strong word, but there was something that kind of was calling me saying, Oh, hello, I'm here. Would you like to know more about me? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was, this is actually now, uh, maybe 18 years ago. So it was quite a long time ago when I was first started to, to practice yoga. But, um, in the beginning, it was, you know, it was, 
I would mostly go to uh, classes focused on on the physical side, um, and then kind of naturally went into okay, there's something there's something more in here. There's something a bit more profound. There's something a bit more subtle that I would like to to learn and I would like to um, to experience. And so a few years ago, I started doing um, foundation course in yoga, and I'm, I'm just wrapping up my teacher training. Um, so that actually put me into that world. So I kind of really done a, a deep dive into into the practice. So, you know, now I've got um, a, a, an established daily practice, but also reading uh, the, the texts that come uh, into yoga, where yoga is referenced. And you, you start to realize the richness of, of it and how it intertwines and you kind of mixes so well with uh, philosophy or if you want to call it religion, ethics, health, um, you know, just how we interact with other people, how we interact with ourselves. It's it, There's so much in there that you kind of, it's so well-rounded um, that you can incorporate that into your life really well. And I think it has expanded a view of of who who I am and a view of who we are as humans and what is that thing that connects us, you know, that is not just our genes. What is the feelings? What are feelings? What what is this yearning that we all have for something more, this constant insatisfactoriness that we feel? What is this? Where is it coming from? And how can we be more eased with that? Maybe find some sort of happiness. And so yeah, as I said, yoga is is such a broad is such a broad word. Uh, or we can mean so so many things for, for different people. So for example, the word itself, yoga, comes from the Sanskrit root yuj, which means to to yoke or to unite. But in some Indian philosophical traditions, yoga also means to uh, disconnect one mind. So to kind of understand the self as independent of your ego, if that makes sense. I've definitely been humbled as and displayed my Western ego and ignorance because, of course, as soon as I, when I read that, the first thing I think about is the yoga classes that I went to, you know, to help me get fitter, help me get healthier. And I admit I did go more for the physical exercise than I did for the – I'm very terrible at things like meditation. I wanted to do it and I really did want to want to practice meditation, but my mind just races at 100 miles an hour and I find it very, very difficult to – no matter what my yoga teacher did, I just could not disengage, as you just said. And I think I actually found it very, very soothing just listening to you talk about it. And I could tell it from the calmness in your voice and how, how that was almost kind of, um, I would say you, you, you used the word religious yourself, but it was like a kind of a spiritual way of kind of expressing those, those feelings and thoughts. So yeah, and I think that's just a prime example of how, you know, yoga is yet another thing that has been westernized and for you to like kind of have this you've done this where you've connected back to this and you've gone back towards the culture and, and what it really means and then look into the sanskrit and and then maybe some music as well that's that's beautiful and you've you said you found a lot of connections so you're someone who lives in the uk originally from portugal but you found connection in something from an indian subcontinent culture that's delightful is the word I can say. That's delightful because that's a really good example of how the human race should be embracing its diversity. 
just trying to think. Take me through the, the chakras again, because one of the things that my yoga teacher tried to do was get to focus on our different chakras. So I can't for the life of me remember any of the word, any names of them now, unfortunately. And I know they all have different meanings. Is there a proper place to start? Do you start from the base of the coccyx first? Usually, yes. But maybe maybe let's put this in a bit of a context. So just sure. Yeah, for people who don't know what chakra is, <laughs> chakra is is means or can be translated as as wheel. Um, so essentially, they are wheels of of energy, and we're talking about energy in a kind of a subtle way. So you you can you can actually. I think everybody experiences this, but if you if you're just aware, so if for example you are in a, a very uncomfortable situation, where do you feel it? Where's the tension, right? Yeah. Or if you, you know, if if you if you've had a a love heartbreak, where, where does that feel? Um, or if you if you want to speak and you can't speak, if you if you're preparing for a talk, where does that feel? So it's realizing where where these centers of energy are concentrated. Um, so the chakras are actually, you, if you look into books, some books can say you have, you have six, some you say you have seven. So there is there's a slight variation there, um, but essentially is learning how to um, become aware of of these energy centers throughout throughout the body, which are usually aligned in the middle, so through the spine, because that's where they think, you know, you've got. Um, the, uh, the the channels of energy which come up and down the spine, and the the idea is for you to be able to recognize those centers, and kind of move, being able to move the energy upwards towards the top of the head, where you will be able to open up your consciousness. So it's 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 kind of a um, a voyage through using your body. To uh, to experience something that is out of the body. I remember that yoga teacher taking us through that journey of of moving up the spine and the breathing techniques to try and 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 now that I think about it, quite a lot of the physical exercises focused a lot on the spine and kind of moving up and down your spine. That leads me on to then. So one thing is is that we're all doing a lot too much nowadays and it's going to be here to stay to an extent of course is is working from home here on our computer desks like we are talking right now rather than actually be, having a cup of tea or coffee with each other what what would be a recommended exercise do you think and it could be for it could be for mental health it could be for physical but i've been sitting here f- for way too long i really need to get up and stretch if you could recommend just one simple exercise that people could do what would you recommend when we're sitting down, we have this tendency to slouch the upper, yes. the upper back. So I'm terrible for that. Tension, yeah, around the neck and the shoulders. And if you do a computer work, yeah, you're kind of like hunchbacking the whole time. So what will be really um, uh, beneficial is to elongate your spine. So creating, going into a posture that relieves the tension in the neck and shoulders, but at the same time, um, lengthening the whole of the spine so you know it's not twisted or a sideways um, so i i personally um find that doing down dog i'm not sure if you know yep downward facing dog yep yeah yeah down facing dog so you kind of have um you can start with uh, from uh, all fours position and then you um place your heels on the floor so stretching yep. stretching your your knees um 
and you're essentially as an inverted U or V shape. So as you see, you have feet, both feet on the floor, both hands on the floor. Um, ideally, if you want, if you want to keep aligned with with your anatomy, then you would have well uh, feet hip width and hands about shoulder width. But the good thing is that there, in that position, you are not only lengthening the spine, but also you are relieving that tension that you have created in along the, the neck and shoulders. So the, the, the head is just there freely. I promise, I'm making a commitment to you, Joanne, everybody listening. <laughs> a downward facing dog now. Like when I get up and stretch, I'll do that as well. I used to, <laughs> this is so depressing. I got pretty flexible, like, and I actually was I almost, almost got my heels down because I've got excruciatingly tight hamstrings. Um, so I find it very, very difficult to do down face. But I was getting there. I was get I was getting to the point where my heels were almost to the ground, but the, now I've just gone but back to square yeah, one. That's not important, you know, and, that, and I think that's, that is the beauty of, of the yoga class, which is it is adaptable to what you can do. So there is, you are you are making an effort, but you have to work with what you've got. So there are many variations of down facing dog. Actually, people with disabilities can make down can do down facing dog if you do the right variations, if you use the right props. So yoga is actually for everybody because it is for you, and it has to be adapted to you. It's not about I'm going to achieve this beautiful yoga posture. It's more like okay, how does that make me feel? How does that? improving you know my health but also how is that making my mind a bit more soothed um and i can i can rest my thoughts and i can quiet that busy mind that you were talking about um, and you can do this through the postures you can do this through meditation you can do this through music you can do this through a walk you can you know so using using the body you know doing the postures is a way into it there are other ways and that's such an important message i think to everybody you know it's not it's inclusive. what you're yeah it's inclusive you're not trying to be anything you're not in competition with anything you don't not even competition for yourself just what you can do is great and i think that's a really really important message for for us all to hear when life is so hectic and we always feel like we need to be on edge at all and, and someone who works myself in education you know always always feeling that there's a competition to be first be the best and it's not very healthy so i think that's a really really important message that you, you've given there in a really lovely way we're going to start coming to the end now unfortunately and finish off with our final little feature which is called we are all geographers and we always ask each guest to come up with a word that the following guest can attempt to link to to geography or the concept of geography or the field of geography so last um, episode we had Hina Robinson um, geography teacher and she was challenged by the guest before her Helen Young who gave her the word paranormal and she did a pretty decent job of linking the paranormal to geography now Hina was um, that she just wanted to come up with the first thing that came into her head and she said so here we go Joanna here's the word the first word that came into her head was discombobulated. <laughs> so, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I know. I had to double check. Discombobulated. So basically, definitely it means, you know, you're feeling very, very confused. Like, what, what, what's going on kind of, kind of thing. You know, like it's almost, you're so confused, you feel lost. Yeah. So 
And now I can link that to geography very easily because I'll I'll share that after you've had a go. So, <laughs> Joanna, you've got thirty seconds. Can you link the word or the feeling of being discombobulated to, <laughs> to geography? You have thirty seconds. Like discombobulated, uh, the feeling of feeling lost. Um, so, if, for instance, you are out and about in the in the outdoors, uh, going for a lovely walk in Dartmoor, and uh, you're kind of in the middle of <laughs> of this moorland, and uh, you you don't have a signal on your mobile phone, you can't. <laughs> should have brought your compass but <laughs> you didn't um, uh, so you feel a bit discombobulated but that's okay because if the sun is actually out maybe you could um, time's up maybe you could follow the sun. <laughs> yeah yeah that was not the thing i was thinking of but that that's that works okay. perfectly like yeah you kind of like go where and you get lost and you're so lost that you, you've got no sense of direction you're so confused you're like ah like and the, yeah and the, and i was just thinking that a lot of people find lots of different aspects of geography very, very confusing and very out of place and very out of depth, you know, like, because it's so diverse and it's so, we've got so much depth and breadth. And I'll, I'll tell you this wonderful story. You, you, you'll like this because it's um, to do with your colleagues in, um, in NOAA, in the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration in the United States. I had the privilege of doing uh, a placement out there in Boulder, Colorado, and I sat into one of their kind of like briefing meetings where they were like update each other on their research, right? And there was this talk talk, and I, I understood a little bit of it. I was grasped, but really, I did. I was discombobulated, right? Um, and I turned to the scientist next to me, who's like PhD doctor, you know, well-known scientist over there, and I said, "Tell me the truth. How much of this do you understand?" Thinking, "Oh, all of it, you know. Of course, we know." I'm like, Kit, to be honest, about twenty twenty-five percent of it. Is that we don't actually understand a lot of what we're all doing because we're so deep in our own fields. We only need to understand the bits where our research connects with somebody else's research and how it overlaps. But everything else is like, no idea. We just leave it to them. And so they were feeling discombobulated despite feeling, you know, because <laughs> of the multidisciplinary nature of the. So, yeah, um, you had a tough one. That was a tough one, Johnny. And. Um, I do, I do feel like that most of the time, actually. <laughs> there you go. I think it's the nature. Yeah, it's, it's the nature of the job. I mean, it's 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 the challenge, um, but it's also the motivation. You know, it makes it interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because if they all sat there just nodding their head, going, "Yep, yep, we know this. Yep, we have noticed. What what are you progressing? Yeah, well, What's the point? Exactly. Well, uh, what will science be? <laughs> exactly, and that's what makes it fascinating. And I actually love the fact that I didn't that I was way out of my comfort zone. But I could, you know, when an equation came up, I'm like, oh, I recognize that from my degree, but I'm not quite sure how they're applying it or something like that. And then I kind of, and then something, some, the penny drops with something and then other things kind of make sense. But then you're now into, a, that gives you more questions than answers. I just, I felt, I loved it. I reveled in that. Um, shame I was only out there for a couple of months. You've now got to come up with a word for our following guests. So it could be anything you like. It could be something we've talked about. Um, what would you like our next guest to have a go at linking to geography? I'll say um, language. Okay. I like that one. You know the interesting thing about the English language? <laughs> What's that? It only has one word for language. Huh. In Portuguese, for example, you have language as in, you know, English, French, German, and language as in musical language. Back in America again, when I was this time in San Francisco, 
uh, speaking to I can't remember the name, but I wrote a blog about it about um, these ind- indigenous people who were talking came into the Exploratory Museum and talked about how their language was a distinct and quintessential part of their culture, and how this um, and they talked about exactly what you just said. And one of the things that one of the Giselle Martin, um, who's a wonderful person, uh, and if you're listening, Giselle, I'd love for you to come on to, come onto the show. And she said you don't actually have a word for tree you've the word loosely translates into i think it's like holder of the soil or or protector of the land or something like that but they also have so many different words to represent what the tree's function is its stage in life whereas we just go oh it's a it's a seed a sapling and a tree you know yeah so I think it's beautiful it's, yeah i think it's yeah, it's fascinating because when when you 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 delve into other languages, you can understand you know the culture through the language because the vocabulary tells you so much. If you have ten different words for tree, maybe that means something. You know, maybe that means that tree is really important in their yeah. culture. Whereas if you just have the one, then okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, I I think that's uh, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting when you and this is what also attracted me to Sanskrit was to to have a little glimpse of the language um, because it's it's it, it is it is a bit different from what we're used to because you understand it through sounding it so it's experiencing the sound of Sanskrit that you will understand its meaning and we all need to do that kind of stuff a lot more often just experience things Joanna I Oh, I could go another half an hour on just this topic alone, um, but we I do have to call it a, a night now. So, do you have to finish off? Do you have any anybody you want to say hello? Any shout outs you'd like to give folks at the Met Office? I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, hard thing. I mean, I maybe maybe to to all my friends around the world, I haven't seen for for a while yeah. because of obvious circumstances, but hopefully. Um, we'll be able to meet again very soon yeah no that's lovely and um, if anybody wants to maybe get in touch or follow your work where where would be the best place for that i mean i think you've got a pro do you have a pro you have a profile on the met office website i believe uh, yes yep. you'll have one yeah so i've got a profile on my office website i've got the linkedin um profile as well Awesome. Um, uh, I'm not big on social media, to be honest. Nope. <laughs> That's okay. Because <laughs> what we like to do, we like to try to expand the geography community. So if, so if anybody, you know, is really, really interested in learning about the work that you do, you know, with energy meteorology and the kind of how you approach that, then you have a public profile and they can have a look at that. And we'll put the link in the description of the podcast. I have really enjoyed this evening. I feel so chill and relax i'm gonna go do my downward facing dog and my tree pose and everything like that and perhaps do a few sun salutes before i go to bed now you've uh, i've somebody needed to kick me into redoing that kind of stuff again and joanna i think you've done that job for me so <laughs> thank you so so much for this chat joanna i really loved it i really enjoyed it thank you kit thank you for inviting me <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. 
or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.